Today's episode of Growing Pains with David Campbell on the Unsettled Media Podcast Network is brought to you by the It's the Economy Stupid blog. That's David's blog. It's a blog about economic development in Atlantic Canada. Let's get to the show. something a little different. Instead of interviewing a guest on this edition of Growing Pains, I'm going to read for you an essay entitled Our Hill, Our Beans. I hope you enjoy it. A little over a decade ago, I developed a presentation entitled Our Hill and Our Beans and went around New Brunswick presenting to various groups on the subject. The title Our Hill and Our Beans is taken from the 1988 Leslie Nielsen comedy movie The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. In that movie, Nielsen's character, Frank Drebin, is attempting to be noble and tells the character played by Priscilla Presley that it's a topsy-turvy world and maybe the problems of two people don't amount to a hill of beans. But this is our hill and these are our beans. This, of course, is a play on the famous line from the 1943 classic Casablanca where Humphrey Bogart's character, Rick Blaine, says... I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. My point was that, in fact, you could argue that Frank Drebin and his version is exactly more relevant, particularly today. The challenges and opportunities in Sussex or St. John do not amount to a hill of beans in the global context. However, the shift in technology and demographics and how it will impact the Acadian Peninsula is irrelevant to 7.799 billion people in the world. Edmonston's ability to position itself as an urban center for a wide area extending well into New Brunswick, Quebec, and even northern Maine doesn't even warrant a passing thought in Toronto, let alone New York or London. But it matters a lot. In fact, it is crucial to the people, companies, organizations, and institutions in those specific communities. Frank Drebin was right. While it matters not to those outside, for us, this is our hill and our beans. So my our hill and our beans tour was happening in the aftermath of the Great Recession of 2008. And as it was becoming clear that New Brunswickers were going to reject the natural gas development industry, the contours of a prolonged economic stagnation in New Brunswick were becoming clear in my mind. The workforce was tightening, meaning it was harder and harder to recruit people, particularly to work in jobs paying thirty dollars or $40,000 a year, jobs in trucking, call centers, personal services, manufacturing, warehouses, and agriculture. In addition to the workforce issues brought on by our aging population, there were other challenges emerging as more and more of us were retiring. The collective priorities of the population were also shifting. In the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and even 1990s, Politicians were going around the province promising economic development in all regions, mining projects, manufacturing companies, new sawmills, new seaports, new industrial parks. It was critical for politicians in those years to reassure the population that they were out there working hard to grow the economy so little Johnny and Janie could stay at home and have a career. By the early 2000s, the politicians had shifted the messaging. Sure, they still made pro forma statements about the economy, but the population was more interested in health care, long-term care, potholes, and other factors. Worse, many older New Brunswickers were getting increasingly hostile to natural resource-based economic development. At a protest against a potential industrial development in Albert County, a journalist asked one of the protesters why he was against the development. 
His response was simple. We just retired out here and we want to be left alone. Instead of eagerly hoping for new mining projects, new forestry projects, new aquaculture projects, new large industrial projects, as we collectively got older, our priorities shifted. So now, circa 2021, we are in a province that, among the 60 United States and Canadian provinces, has one of the worst economic track records in more than a decade. The economy has grown at an annual average rate of only 0.5% going all the way back to 2007. The decade before that, the annual growth rate averaged 2.9% per year, five times faster than we've seen since 2007. The number of people participating in the workforce is actually lower in 2020 than it was more than a decade ago. And I'm willing to bet the average New Brunswicker hasn't really even noticed. How is this possible? That's simple. It hasn't really negatively impacted most New Brunswickers. In fact, by some measures, New Brunswickers are better off now than they were in the early 2000s. There are now 210,000 of us collecting stable and predictable Canada pension plan and other retirement benefits. Over 110,000 of us work in good public sector jobs, mostly with pensions. There are still tens of thousands of us working seasonal jobs and earning employment insurance benefits in the off-season. Tens of thousands of New Brunswickers who only have to work 20 or 30 weeks a year and then get a long vacation until their jobs starts up again. So, in fact, about 60% of the adult population uh, is in these conditions, either on uh, retired and on a pension, working for the public sector, or working in a seasonal industry. As I have said many times, I believe that the structural unemployment rate, if you base it on account of all the people at any given time in a local community around New Brunswick who are unemployed and ready to work, uh, I believe the unemployment rate is nearly zero around the province. Now, COVID-19 has uh, uh, changed that somewhat, but outside of the COVID-19 pandemic, I believe structural unemployment around the province is close to zero. My parents live in Upper Blackville, and traveling from Moncton to visit them, I have to go through a little hamlet called Barnaby River, a place with maybe a couple of hundred homes on both sides of the river at most. In the past few years, Barnaby River has seen at least a couple of dozen new swanky homes built with big garages, RVs, ATVs, boats, and other amenities, historically out of the reach for most residents of tiny little New Brunswick hamlets like Barnaby River. The largest employer in Dalhousie in northeastern New Brunswick, uh, arguably the largest industrial employer, closed and there was a collective shrug. The smelter uh, took, uh, the, the loss of the smelter took tens of millions of dollars out of the economy and there was hardly a whimper. Now that might be hard, but at the end of the day, I think you, you have to agree that the closure of the smelter, uh, the response to the closure of the smelter was far different than say, the closure of a similar, similarly sized facility 20 or 30 years ago. And in fact, if you can imagine a plant of that size in Ontario, an auto plant or some other major plant closing, uh, I think the echo would be far, far uh, greater. But the reality is the population is older uh, in northeastern New Brunswick. Over 60% of the workers at the smelter were retirement age or close to retirement. Uh, so there just wasn't that demand. Uh, anymore for such a large industrial project. So if you combine these factors with the fact that the provincial government has not has not fallen into a deep fiscal hole, and this is why the worst sustained economic growth in the history of the province has been met with crickets, 
There isn't a sense of collective economic insecurity now the way there was in the 1970s and 80s and even into the 90s when I graduated from university. I sent out over 300 resumes over an eight-month period and hardly got a nibble before taking a $14 an hour job that lasted only three months. The first question then is, can we sustain a 0.5% economic growth rate or even worse indefinitely into the future without it having consequences on the quality and access to healthcare, on the quality of public infrastructure, and on the public debt. One of the other little known impacts of the past decade uh, of weak economic growth is that the provincial government public debt has doubled since 2007. In that year, the provincial government debt, according to RBC Economics, excluding MB Power's debt, was just over $7 billion. As of 2020-2021, is now estimated to be $14.1 billion. That is an amount of public debt worth more than 50000 per every household in New Brunswick. When was the last time you heard that statistics in the media or while having coffee at Tim Hortons? The reason why this massive increase in public debt has raised hardly an eyebrow is the ultra-low interest rates. Because we are issuing new debt and rolling over old debt at lower interest rates, the impact on the provincial government budget has been limited. In fact, debt servicing costs as a share of total budget are actually in decline. But New Brunswickers need to know that this massive debt is sitting there and could become a real problem if interest rates start to rise again. I contend that we cannot sustain another decade of 0.5% annual economic growth, let alone 20 or 30 years more. Something will have to give and it might not be pretty. Back in the years of Sean Graham's self-sufficiency agenda, I predicted that if nothing changed, 2026 would indeed be a year of massive change. I forecasted at the time, 20 years ago, that an octogenarian Frank McKenna would be put at the head of a royal commission on the future of the Maritimes, which would ultimately conclude the three maritime provinces should merge and public services and spending should be scaled way back. While the federal government would have no power to force amalgamation, it could influence it through the massive federal transfer payments coming to the region each year. I predicted there would be a new region called Maritime Canada and that places like Fredericton, northern New Brunswick, etc. would be particularly impacted over the long term as the regional capital would sit in Halifax and most of New Brunswick would become increasingly peripheral. Because of the success of Prince Edward Island since my prediction, as well as low interest rate and modest growth in the region's urban centers, it looks like I will be wrong about 2026. But I still see something similar in our future in the 2030s without a significant change in direction. Folks, we just can't become one big retirement community. A province of 300 Barnaby Rivers supported by health care and services in a few large urban centers. It's just not sustainable. So the Our Hill, Our Beans narrative is even more relative today, relevant today than it was back when I hit the road over a decade ago. There are lots of stories playing out on the national and international stage that are important and will influence what happens in New Brunswick. But if we are not careful, they become distractions. Beyond the pandemic, what are the big news stories flooding your social media feeds in 2020? Global warming, QAnon, racial injustice, Brexit, Russia, Alberta oil, Chinese oppression, all worthy stories. But if they crowd out the focus on our own backyard, it will be to our detriment. This is our hill, uh, and these are really our beans. This is not to say we don't have an interest in those big issues, nor that we have nothing to do in those areas. My point is that we need to address things we can address right here in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our cities, and province. 
where we are global bystanders, we are watchers when it comes to what's happening on the global scale, but we can specifically influence what's happening in our own backyard. So what do we need to focus on in 2021 and beyond? If our goal is a strong, stable, and prosperous New Brunswick for the next generation, what do we need to do? If we want to leave the province stronger now than we found it, and I'm talking now to my generation and older, those 50 and older, what should we be pushing now? First, we need more to do more to bring all New Brunswickers into this conversation. As long as younger New Brunswickers are disconnected and older New Brunswickers aren't interested, it is pretty hard to see where political and community support will come from. Despite the relative comfort of the average New Brunswicker, we need to somehow get political support for a few big-scale changes on how we do things in this province. And that will not get, we won't get that support until residents of Minto, Florenceville, Bristol, Harvey, Hampton, and Bathurst really start to understand what is at stake. Second, we need to attract a whole lot of people to our province to join the workforce, set up new businesses, and rebuild the student population in both K-12 education and post-secondary. They can come from anywhere, and they can be young people coming through the K-12 system that otherwise might have left. Increasingly, they will need to come from outside the country because the demographic realities facing New Brunswick are also at play elsewhere in Canada. While this is partly needed to replace those folks who are retiring from the workforce each year, it is much more about a general need to grow the working age population. We need a population growth plan for the province, but as an amalgamation of regional population and local population growth plans. Third, we need far more engagement at the local level in New Brunswick. Folks in Woodstock should be championing the potential manganese mining project up there. When it looks like someone in Fredericton or far beyond is pushing projects on local communities, this drives an increasing cynicism. New Brunswick has vast natural resources, renewable and non-renewable, and the leadership over their development should start on the ground in local communities with First Nations as full partners. Fourth, related to the previous point, we need much stronger economic development in local communities around the province. This is an issue I've written about extensively for years. The only people that exclusively care about what happens in Nigawak are the people of Nigawak. We need local leaders and economic development resources across the province identifying the barriers and opportunities for growth in the local community and region and working closely with partners in the provincial and federal government to get stuff done. As I say above, there is a tourism or forestry or agriculture or mining opportunity. The leadership over the development of this opportunity should be local, supported by industry and higher levels of government. The way it is done now can look like someone from afar is trying to pull a fast one on the local population. And there needs to be some kind of quid pro quo. Local residents need to see the benefits of supporting economic development in the local area. Does it mean more investment in rural broadband? Does it mean better secondary roads? Does it mean investments in community infrastructure? People need to be able to draw a straight line between supporting economic development and people attraction and the benefits to the local community. Fifth, we need a new generation of ambitious entrepreneurs to step up. There are many examples I could cite in this essay, but again, if we want to get beyond 0.5% annual economic growth, we will need more. And as older business owners retire, we will need even more. And the need for a few to grow beyond lifestyle businesses is critical. There are lots of entrepreneurs. We don't need all of them to grow global businesses, but we need some of them too. Finally, I want to remind you why this matters. It seems somewhat surreal in 2021 that a lot of people in this province don't see the growth imperative. They think we can stumble along in this province indefinitely if they think about it at all. I'm not willing to take that bet, and I hope you aren't either. 
Thanks for listening. As always, happy to get feedback on the content and style of this podcast and your ideas for future topics. Growing Pains with David Campbell is produced by me, Matt George, is engineered by the great Zachary Pelche, and is part of the Unsettled Media Podcast Network.